On front page with me is Parker and Krishnan, former news editor at Al Jazeera and columnist from The Star, and Susan Tam, freelance writer, former producer with Al Jazeera TV, and a f- reporter with The Star. Good morning, folks. Good morning. Good morning. Yes. Good morning. Prime Minister Tun Dr. Mahathir Muhammad himself will table a motion in Parliament to replace the chairman of the Public Accounts Committee, the PAC, Dato Sri Dr. Ronald Kiandi, with BN's Pirate Sulong MP, Dato Dr. Noraini Ahmad. The motion appears as the ninth item on the order paper for Thursday's sitting, which was yesterday after the reading of a few bills. I guess uh, the big question for those who don't know is, who is Dr. Noraini Ahmad? And the Edge report, uh, Nurul Iza is rejoining PAC. Well, Dr. Noraini was actually the former Putri Amno chairman, mm-hmm. head, and uh, she used to be a bright young woman, and she now is the Vanita chief in the latest elections. And I think... Talking about her personally, she's got some good credentials. She's got a, a good basic degree in um, finance and some analytical studies from a local university. And then she's got her PhD from UUM. And uh, she's got, I think, a master's from Saskatchewan, a Canadian oh, university okay, yeah. in finance as well. To be fair to her... Besides her political leading, <laughs> I think she's she sh- and she's can the right do a good person yeah. because she's from the opposition, yeah. correct? And I think what's interesting is that she's female. Mm-hmm. We've had all these questions about lack of female representation in parliament, in lawmaking. So it's quite really nice to see a female uh, lawmaker take the lead. I think the other, there was another, cons- well, I suppose issue raised. Was she chosen because she might be a bit soft-skilled or she's easy to control by the, the rest of the, the BN party or the BN her BN colleagues? We don't know, but I think it's a fresh face. I suppose it gives democracy a good run for its money. Mm-hmm having Nuru Iza come back. So, All right. yeah. And most importantly, uh, Pakatan Harapan is keeping its promise. Mm-hmm. I mean, they messed it up by not asking Kandy, Ronald Kandy to resign mm-hmm. after he switched parties. Yes. So, this is the right thing to do and uh, it, it gives the right message to the people that we are keeping our promise. All right. So, um, Nural Iza is back in the fold and all is well in the world of PAC. We, we think <laughs> so for the next we news day so. and wait for the next news cycle and we'll see. All right. Of course, um, we're looking at the front page and all the headlines this morning. Next, the ministry will be conducting a study to make Johor zero reliant on Singapore for treated water. We'll be discussing that next right here on Light. Win your share of 15K with Sounds Like a Song starts at 9 a.m. On front page with me this morning is Susan Tan, freelance writer and former producer with Al Jazeera TV. Also Parker and Krishnan, veteran journalist. The Ministry of Water, Land and Natural Resources is in the midst of conducting a full study in a bid to ensure that Johor will no longer rely on the supply of treated water from Singapore. Minister Dr. Xavier Jayakumar said the study, which is being conducted with the cooperation of the National Water Services Commission and and Johor State Government was to identify the impact, framework, proposals and discussions on the reliance for the basic necessity. He said, we want zero dependency for Johor. We don't want them to get treated water from Singapore anymore. At the time, the study will ensure sufficient water supply in Johor in the future. You know, I've always questioned this, you know, even as a small girl when my grandparents in JB were explaining the whole water situation in Johor. Why are we buying treated water from Johor. Surely, with, you know, the infrastructure that we can build, can we not have our own treatment facilities here in the country? 
I think it's a part of the 65 agreement. I think there's so many agreements leading up to 65 when Singapore has moved out of Malaysia, mm-hmm. uh, Malaya rather. And it's part of the 1962 agreement where that uh, Malaya or Malaysia sells these raw water to Singapore and Singapore treats it. So, you know, it's going to be expiring in a few decades. So Singapore's going to hold Malaysia to that contract while, you know, our dear leader here wants to always renegotiate contracts. Mm-hmm. So I think, sadly, it's a contractual obligation and, and we've got to stick by it unless there's some real fierce arm wrestling across yeah, the, the I mean, causeway. just a layman question. I, I know people wonder, like, can we not buy treated water from Singapore <laughs> and also have our own treatment plant? Yeah. <laughs> okay, talking about own treatment plants, we do have. We mm. I think Joe has about mm. four checked. Oh, so we do have. Yeah, we do have. Yeah, I'm not I'm not okay. sure whether it is sufficient. So, uh, like, like what Susan said, the contractual agreement is there and for Singapore, it is a matter of honour. I mean, for them, if they want to pay more for water, a few cents will not matter. But mm-hmm. for them, it's a independence of Singapore agreement. So they think uh, it can't be broken. And, 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 and if Malaysia does not want that water, we'll still have to pay them under the mm-hmm. contract for the next decade, few decades. Yeah. So I, I think, think it's easy. Let's have the water that we, because they're sending back 12% of the raw water that they take. It, it, that's a contractual clause that it must be a minimum of 12%. And I think they're fulfilling that. Yes, and I think Singapore in the Singapore press claim that they're actually sending twice the amount that Johor is supposed to receive. Right. So there's that contention there and they're not making any noise and Johor is only paying a fraction of what what would mm. cost to, to treat water. So We had a chance <laughs> under the contract to, uh, it says after 25 years of the contract being enforced, you can revise the mm. price. It, that was in 87, 86 and who was the Prime Minister? Mahathir yes. Mohamad. Yes, Why didn't he do it? But then the clause says after 25 years. So today is still after 25 years. Mm-hmm. So technically, we can also ask for a revision of the prizes. All right. Well, we'll see and wait and hold our breaths for that to happen. Coming up is a tipping option, something that Malaysia is ready and willing to embrace. Uh, that story is up next here on Front Page. On Front Page with me this morning is veteran journalist Parkerin Krishnan and Susan Tom, freelance writer and former producer with Al Jazeera TV. Grab Malaysia has introduced a new feature on their app, allowing users to tip their drivers. How very American of them. <laughs> it's a one more wonderful way to thank your driver, it states on the app. Um, once a passenger gives the driver a five-star rating in the app, they will be able to access the tipping feature and all of that. So at the moment, the tipping amounts are set at two ringgit for ringgit and six ringgit or you can even just you know opt to give them cash tip there's really no tipping culture among malaysians as we know i mean why do you think they've decided to introduce this at grab honestly i've already been tipping grab drivers yeah it does happen i think the tipping culture is not very good for malaysia mm-hmm. because what i've experienced is if you don't tip the waiters and the service providers will treat you badly or not not yeah. as good as how they treat tippers. It creates a, a class structure kind yes. of thing. And uh, it gives the impression that they're not being paid enough and uh, the employers are not taking good care of them. Mm-hmm. If only they were paid adequately, I think tipping should be eventually be out you, of the you whole picture. You don't yeah. have to yeah. tip. My own brother uh, is a grab driver, so I can see things from his perspective. You know, we've gone through certain concerns and issues about protection, fee, incentive. So I think giving a little bit of incentive is an encouragement mm-hmm. to such service providers. They are already at the probably lower end of the chain of yeah. the earning scale. So 
what's a, what's a 10 ringgit, 5 ringgit, even 2 ringgit tip to kind of make their day and acknowledge that they are respected as mm-hmm. a professional in the industry. Because I've heard so many passenger sort of feedback to drivers that, or even driver feedbacks about how they're treated, how their cars are treated, what sort of feedback they get on their platform. Mm-hmm. So we're in a culture where we're still not being as civic-minded as we should be right. and respectful of other people trying to make a make yeah. an honest living. Yeah, I mean, I generally, I tip my pizza guy, I tip the mm, guy yeah. at the par- uh, at the petrol station who helps me out. Uh, though, I, you know, it's not a compulsion, but yeah. we personally feel that, you know, hey, you know, why not? I think most of us do that because we think they're doing a job that is like above uh, and beyond uh, yeah correct mm-hmm. and also uh, it's a job that not many want to take up yeah these jobs that needs tipping and that's fine but uh, there's also a dark side right yes, like exactly like it's akin to bribery to get them to do better you know, I, I mean <laughs> i mean this is not an sprm case anyway so. yeah. <laughs> no but but you know that's a thought that's yeah. intangible, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Then, but you're right. It comes down mm. to paying your workers better, finding more equitable ways of distributing income. If we do have a service charge at the restaurant or a service station, does the service charge actually go to mm-hmm. to the staff? So I think that's another question. Indeed, yeah, and everybody gets equal yeah. tips. Well, when we come back, we'll be taking a look at this headline: five hundred thousand ringgit spent on a Chanel shopping spree. What's that about? Well, we'll find out next on Light. Win your share of 15K with Sounds Like a Song starts at 9 a.m. On front page with me this morning is veteran journalist Parkerin Krishnan and Susan, Tom, freelance writer and former producer with Al Jazeera TV. Now, Datuk Sri Najib Raza has used half a million ringgit of the total 42 million ringgit of laundered money he received to splurge on Chanel products at a U.S. boutique four years ago. This is what the High Court uh, heard just recently. Attorney General Tommy Thomas revealed this as at the much-awaited first day hearing of the former Prime Minister who is on trial for laundering the money linked to funds from SRC International, Sindran Berhad. Uh, the both of you have been obviously watching this trial quite closely. What are some of the highlights on this first day that you can share with us? To me, the highlight was the opening speech by the AG, which many hail is the best ever. Uh, of course, Najib Sapporo say it was a Shafi. The lawyer yes. said it was a political speech. Yes. I mean, it depends on which side of the divide you are and you will view it. But I think the message that was sent by the AG was what really most important in the whole thing. He says, prosecuting a prime minister, a first in this country, should serve as a precedent to all future holders of this August office, and not only them, mm-hmm. all ministry ministers, all government servants, and this should serve as a deterrent, if it will, I'm not sure. And also, uh, the other highlight that I noticed was the number of supporters it was actually only 20 uh, around 20 right. and i think it was like it's a big setback for him of course there was another madman like of the <laughs> Walking around with his <laughs> hand forward, you know. I mean, these are all political stunts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, if you want to get into the court, you have to be there early. Right. This is a big case. It is, it's an open court, though. Anyone yeah, can go, right? Exactly. Yeah, you got to go there, so, book your seat. But, and yeah, but they had to put a stop after some the, the number. Yes. You can't let everyone in. Yeah. Even Claire Castle Brown, who, you know, made her way down there, couldn't get seats inside. So <laughs> she sat in the uh, video room. Well, your thoughts? Uh, I think having the limelight on things the Rakyat can relate to has really brought the case to forefront from shopping to the number of bags and to the unimaginable amount of luxury goods mm-hmm. you can get with that amount of money. Even the watch he was probably wearing in court if he was allowed yeah. that uh, was going to be worth that much. So I think that caught the eyes of, of the people. I think the opening speech, like Pakran said, 
just set out the tone for the trial. That's something to kind of like, you know, at least appease most of Malaysians who have been waiting for this appeal mm-hmm. after appeal for, for it to get started. And like it or not, it's really sort of strengthened, I suppose, the Malaysia's resolve in, in you know, reporting corruption, getting our politicians to be accountable by having this public display yes. of details. And I hope Malaysians who do not believe that someone is guilty will ask this question. What was so much of mm. government money doing in a personal account of the Prime Minister? Yes. Answer the question. Yeah. Just quickly, this is no Omar said mm-hmm. yesterday about if it's not stealing we don't get caught I mean, if you kind of like perpetuate <laughs> yeah. the kind of value in yeah. our society then it's terrible <laughs> well we'll definitely be watching this trial very very closely coming up equanimity can still be used as evidence in the 1MDB case that's up next here on Light on front page with me this morning is Susan Tam freelance writer and former producer with Al Jazeera TV and Parkran Krishnan a columnist with The Star he's also a veteran journalist and uh, let's take a look at equanimity. Uh, super yacht equanimity can still be used as evidence in the 1MDB court cases if the need arise. The new owners apparently can be subpoenaed to produce documents and the vessel, um, you know, in order for certain mechanisms for the prosecution to carry all of that out. I guess, you know, the equanimity has gone from a significant piece of evidence to a running joke. Uh, what are your thoughts on the super yacht? I don't think it's so much of a running joke. I think coming Coming back to the Chanel's and the luxury goods, it's made Malaysians be interested in politics and in a way made Malaysians be more active in politics and thinking what they can do. So I think instead of the passivity of you know some voters it's really brought to home how the rich have really lived their lives and uh, the regular Malaysians had Mm -hmm. to suffer with their you know Mm -hmm. with their low income. So if this makes a sit up and notice yeah. corruption and abuse of power. I mean, why? Yeah. Why the heck not? Um, yeah, it's so tangible, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, exactly. And I think no one could have done what Dr. Mather did about the equanimity. Dragging this thing home. Yeah, but <laughs> in Indonesia and getting the support and getting uh-huh. back. And I look at it this way. I think the people have got to understand and support the government on, on his actions on, in mm-hmm. this case. You must understand that if BN had won, we won't get this half a billion that we are getting today. Yeah. So now that it's lost and we're getting it back, the people should know that uh, Dr. Madre and his team would not have come up with this decision if there was no uh, economic value. Right. Because if you're going to keep it there and wait for a higher price, mm-hmm. we'd probably Lose out won't get anything. Do because I think the maintenance fee is what, 3 million ringgit a month or 2 yes. million and I think Tun also said he did offer to buy it but at a lower yeah. price. So, you <laughs> yeah, know, exactly. Much lower price. And uh, you know, of course you can use this. There's so many ways of tendering exhibits, photographs. I'm sure they took mm-hmm. photographs of every part of the yeah. of the yacht even probably the toilets and uh, the court can call them back anytime and mm-hmm. I think there's a clause in the agreement saying this that they have to produce it yeah. as evidence in the dock or wherever right. for the court can officials I, to visit and yeah. I think they could also probably even get on board you know right. so they've, they've had so, so I don't understand yeah. the people's concern about yeah. losing it as an evidence because eh, if there's a theft of goat or cow they don't keep it in <laughs> the, the courthouse or the police station forever until the case is heard yeah. so it's all yeah I guess because it's such a huge tangible piece of evidence and uh, people are wondering okay now it's a um, private property of a private entity how does this work I guess it's not very evident but the law is in place for this yes yeah? yes but, but the I private entity that bought it was actually 
actually also involved <laughs> in the previous scandal, yeah, which right. I shall not name. So uh, the, the, I think they know the spotlight on on the mm-hmm. case. So well, I understand there's a clause in the purchase contract. All right, interesting. We'll see how this develops. Definitely, and uh, thank you, Susan and Parker, this morning for joining us on Front Page. You're welcome. Thank you, thank you for, for having, having us. us.